First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for stopping by. Today is the very first of the GOP debates as we head closer and closer to the 2024 presidential election. There will be eight presidential candidates battling it out in the debate tonight. Obviously, uh, former President Donald J. Trump is not going to be there. I believe he is releasing an interview with Tucker Carlson at the same time. And you guys have heard my interviews here with two of the candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy and Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. I wanted to replay this episode today in honor of the GOP debate, but also because it is one of my most downloaded episodes of the year. I did the interview with Vivek earlier this year, very early on when he launched his campaign for presidency. Many people weren't very familiar with him. I'll be honest with you, I was not familiar with him at all until he announced his candidacy for president. And I got to admit, I was very impressed with Vivek Ramaswamy after I spoke with him right here on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, I thought his points were very solid. I thought he was very well-spoken. He seems like a very likable guy. And then shortly after we did the interview here on First Class Fatherhood, uh, he flew me out to his headquarters out there in Columbus, Ohio, so I could be one of the first guests on the podcast that he launched earlier this year, the Vivek Ramaswamy Show. It was an honor to meet him in person and to do the interview. And I'll tell you what, what really impressed me, and I had spoke about this on Twitter was that here's a guy that's a multi-millionaire owning a billion-dollar companies, and he's sitting there talking with me, and he's taking notes throughout the entire interview, and then he goes on weeks later to incorporate a lot of what I discussed with him about the fatherless crisis. Well, he really, and he still has, incorporated all of that into his presidential campaign, which was really humbling to see. Uh, him actually, you know, really taking to heart everything that I was saying. And you guys know how passionate I am about the fatherless crisis. I talk about it on just about every show here. Uh, he really uh, paid attention. He's done his own research since then. And he has really made it a point to bring it up. And I will, don't be surprised if you don't hear him talking about it tonight in the GOP debate. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I really like Governor Ron DeSantis. He was on the podcast last year. I did a rebroadcast of that, one of, the, one of my most downloaded episodes last year. I think my number one was Steve Harvey last year. Governor Ron DeSantis was right up there with it, and it was a great interview. I think Governor Ron DeSantis is the most pro-family politician in politics right now. I love the fact that he signed that fatherhood initiative bill. That was the reason why I really brought him onto the podcast last year. So he's doing great things as well. And again, I realize that this episode may not be for everybody, but I'll tell you what, even if you are a left-leaning listener, I think you'll come away impressed with Vivek Ramaswamy, and he definitely connects well with the millennials. He has a very likable personality. He does, he doesn't, he's not out there to insult with his points of view. He's really out there to explain how he feels about it. Uh, he doesn't, like I said, he's not a guy that goes for the jugular. He's not slinging mud at the other candidates, which I do like. So I wanted to rebroadcast this episode and I'm going to hit it with you in just a second here. I also wanted to say uh, thank you to everybody who donated to my campaign to raise money for the Navy SEAL Foundation this past Saturday. If you guys follow me on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook, uh, you will have seen some of the pictures I posted this Saturday. I jumped into the Hudson River and swam across the river with the Navy SEALs and so many other combat veterans and first responders and patriots. And it was an awesome experience. It's hard to explain 
just how awesome it was to swim right next to the Statue of Liberty as we made our way from New Jersey to New York. Uh, it was definitely a challenge for me. I felt like I was pretty well prepared for it. I've been training since January for it, but it's still... Uh, that first leg of the swim against the current was pretty tough. And it was just an enjoyable day j just to be surrounded by so many people who love this country as much as I do. And so many of the guys that really laid it all on the line for my freedom, for our freedom. And, uh, you know, we had so, so many Gold Star parents were there. It was just really a beautiful day. Covered very well on Fox and Friends as well as Newsmax. So it was a really great experience. And again, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who did donate to my campaign to raise money. It was all about raising money for the Navy SEAL Foundation. So again, uh, props to everybody who did it. They raised a ton of money and it all goes right to help the Navy SEALs and their families. All right, so let's do this. I'm going to be back with a brand new episode next week. Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey is going to join me here on the podcast. He really is one of the only, one of the few journalists that actually asks difficult questions of the current president, Joe Biden. Peter Ducey is a young dad himself, so it's going to be a lot of fun to have him on the podcast. So don't miss out on that one dropping next week on Wednesday. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. I'm definitely going to be doing my best to book as many now as we start to turn the corner into the school year and into September. But here we go. Let's rebroadcast this episode for today. As always, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. And here comes my rebroadcast of my interview earlier this year with presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy on First Class Father. <laughs> Joining me now, First Class Father, Vivek Ramaswamy. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. It's good to be on. All right. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Let's start like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I've got two kids. Uh, one is turning three this week, and one is seven months old. And uh, it's been a joy. Yeah, we're, we're blessed. Wow, very cool. What do you got? One and one? Boy, son and daughter? What do you got? Both boys. Yeah. Both boys. Okay. We we trying for the girls out on the table here. Or you know, all done? It, was, it was initially it was initially an objective of my wife's. But then somehow when the second guy came out, she was just equally happy. And, uh, and you know what? I'm in favor of more. Uh, more is merrier. But uh, I think she she may have the final say on that one. So so we're going to see. All right. Well, best of luck there. Yeah, we had three boys. Finally got the girl on the fourth try. So uh, it took us a few <laughs> more did, to get okay. her. But we got her now. So if you could, uh, Vivek, just take a second to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I was, uh, you know, born and raised in Cincinnati, live in Columbus now, but a 15-year detour in the Northeast. Went to college, studied molecular biology, thought I was going to be a scientist. Ended up getting into the world of biotech investing. I did that for seven years from 2007 to 2014. That included the 2008 financial crisis, which was a lot of fun, I would say, uh, jokingly, but actually it was, it was actually a great educational experience. I spent three of those years at the same time in law school. I kept my job, but I had this itch to study law and political philosophy as a science guy. And so I did that for three years. Anyway, that's my educational background. And then I ended up uh, starting a biotech company that I led as CEO for seven years from 2014 to 2021, worked on a number of medicines. Five of them are FDA approved products today, something I'm bluntly incredibly proud of. Did that while you know, having, uh, getting married and, and beginning to raise my family. I left that job though in the early part of 2021, right at the start of the year, to focus on a different kind of cancer is what I would say. It wasn't the biological cancer. One of the drugs that I worked on is actually an approved drug for prostate cancer today. But it's this different kind of cultural cancer that 
nobody who came from the worlds that I had been in was actually addressing. And that was this new secular religion that said that your identity is based on your race and the other genetically inherited attributes on the day you were born. And I worried about that. I thought that was going to threaten the dream, the American dream that allowed me to achieve everything I ever had. And so for the last three years, I've been intensely focused on addressing this so-called woke culture, the merger of business and politics in the ESG movement and stakeholder capitalism. And uh, I wrote three books. Two of them are published about these issues, both the merger of state and corporate power, as well as some of the cultural challenges with identity politics in America today. Uh, two of them are out. The third one's coming out later this year. And then I also started a new company. It's what I know how to do. So that was one of the ways I decided to take action, starting an asset manager called Strive that competes with the likes of BlackRock, but which mandate companies to focus on excellence over politics, their products and services, and tell those companies to knock it off with the politics as a shareholder. That's what I've been doing over the last year. But as you might have you know, gleaned recently uh, from press reports and otherwise, I'm weighing how to have the biggest possible impact by even taking that to the next level. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a second here. But I, I love your fight in this uh, cause because, uh, Vivek, there, there is an attack on the American culture here. It's been happening for a long time. And, and in my opinion, the, the number one social crisis that we're facing is the breakdown of the nuclear family unit, uh, the attack on masculinity, and the fatherless crisis that we're seeing. And, and that, to me, uh, I don't even think you could begin to solve any of these other social issues that we're seeing out there unless this gets addressed first. The fact that the family has been destroyed, you have nothing to build on from there. So I, I think that uh, you're right. The, the way that our, our culture has been attacked, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I would like to get your take on, on that and more. But let me just take you back three years ago then. Uh, you know, having all this success, obviously you've done very well for yourself. How did the experience of becoming a father kind of change or shift your perspective on life? Fundamentally, actually, is the answer to that. I mean, until then, I was on a path building businesses, great, making drugs, finding opportunities, living the American dream for myself. And, and when I say myself, I mean me and my wife. But it's something when there's a new generation that comes into, into existence and you're looking at them in the eye that changes your perspective on what actually matters. And, and even for me, as important as it was to develop medicines, to treat patients who didn't have those medicines, there were other people doing that good work, but that's part of what caused me to look in the mirror and say, what do I actually care about? How can I actually make a contribution that's going to outlive me for the next generation? And you know, it sounds, sounds you know, a lot of people would say that, and, and like three years ago, if you asked me and I heard somebody else say that, I would say that sounds trite. I don't, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. But there's something about the experience of actually going through it that just makes it true in a way that's even hard to explain in words, actually. And, and for me, that was, it wasn't a coincidence that it was right after that we had our, our first son. And it was under some difficult circumstances too, by the way. My, my wife was uh, finishing up her residency in New York. She was a throat surgeon. In February of 2020, this is the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nobody knew what it was. And the first wave in New York City was, was significant for hospitalizations and her area was throat surgery. She actually left after three and a half weeks of maternity leave to go back to actually treat patients just because they needed her. They were short staffed for that first wave. And so I actually ended up taking care of our son for the first three months of his life just because it was unknown about what a newborn infant risks would be if exposed at that point in time. And so for me, that was a, a special experience as well. And I had been a CEO traveling the world. My wife, yes, she was a surgeon, but she had actually helped me have a solid foundation at home 
we switched roles. I was in Ohio taking care of our son alone. She was doing what she felt and what I supported her as her duty in treating patients in her area of expertise in her time of need. She ended up getting COVID. Her father's a surgeon. He also ended up actually, you know, ended up getting COVID and ended up getting, ended up in the hospital. But it was a, it, it was an eye-opening few months for me. And that's those, during those months that actually led me to the journey of saying, you know what, I've built a successful company, but now it's time for the next chapter. And that resulted in me stepping down as CEO and moving on to this new chapter of my career that I've been in. And I can pretty confidently say I, I wouldn't have done it. I'm sure, I w- I'm sure that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't also become a father that year. That was probably, you know, psychologically the most critical catalyst that actually caused me to make a move that I otherwise probably wouldn't have made. Yeah, very well said. And that's one of the reasons why I advocate so well, especially for the young men who think starting a family and having kids is something they should put off and they sh- something they should avoid and something they shouldn't shoot for when really uh, it's the ultimate goal to have in life. And until, like you said there, until you experience it, you can't really explain it. Uh, two people. But l- let's face it right now, uh, Vivek, there, there's a lot of challenges facing parents in this country. One of them, what you talk about is this woke culture. And we've seen it. I mean, I'm here in New Jersey and we see where it's been pressed into our kids' lives in the school system uh, through kindergarten, first and second grade. They're talking about now sexual orientation, gender identity, things that should never be in a classroom, especially with kids that, that are, you know, j- just learning how to do their alphabets. I mean, this has gotten way out of control. I had Governor Ron DeSantis on the podcast here to address that. I loved what he did in Florida there. They, they ended up attacking him, calling it the Don't Say Gay Bill, which it had, uh, which was never in the bill itself. It was preventing them from talking to these kids about this stuff. But this is becoming an epidemic. And of course, the CRT as well is, is another part of this. So uh, what is the solution set to this? And what do you say to parents out there? who are being called terrorists if they try to come to come to the school board meetings and bring this stuff up. I mean, don't listen to the names they call you. That's the least of it. I think we've got to go to the important stuff here. The important stuff is to go upstream. What do I mean by that? I think all of what we see today, wokeism, transgenderism, covidism, climatism, whatever it is, it's just a symptom of a deeper vacuum of purpose in the heart of the American soul and especially in the next generation where kids, I, I think all of us, but kids in particular are so hungry for a purpose, for a cause, for meaning, for identity, that when the things that used to fill that void, your identity as a family member, your identity as a member of a religion, having a faith, your identity as a citizen, as part of a nation that's something bigger than you, as those things have disappeared, that leaves a black hole of identity in its wake. And that's what allows poison to fill the void. And so I think we in the conservative movement, myself included, if I may say, I think one of the things we've done is to point out the problem and to play whack-a-mole with the poison one at a time. And there was a time and place for that. It's important. But I think that we need to now go to the next level and actually fill that void of purpose with something more meaningful that dilutes that poison to irrelevance. That means reviving family. I think family is a foundation for faith. It is, it is when you know the love of your family that you can experience the love of God. I think it is a foundation for the nation. I mean, even take this out of a religious context. Aristotle said that the family was the most fundamental governing institution. It's the best known governing institution to mankind. So we can rail all we want about getting rid of big government. And I'm right there at the front lines there railing against it. But we're not actually solving the problem if we don't recognize the fact that we still need structure. We still, kids, the next generation at minimum, needs a sense of structure and governance that the family itself can provide. And so what's the solution? I think the solution is to recreate that affirmative vision. 
family, faith, patriotism, hard work. Those are the sources of our identity. They're based on truth. They're based on things that are real. And part of why we're grasping at these artificial straws is because we lack that deeper sense of purpose and identity. And I think this is an opportunity for the conservative movement to rise to the occasion and to fill that void with a positive affirmative vision that dilutes the poison to irrelevance instead of just being reactionary to it. There was a time and place for that, but I think now the question is how do we actually do something about it? Well said, and I, I, but I do think that the, the Democratic side or the liberal side, whatever you want to say, is far better at their messaging system. They are just better at this game of politics, it seems, on so many levels. Now, one thing I get uh, when I talk about this stuff, and I, I get blasted, I have a lot of conservative dads on the podcast. I try to get as many dads from both sides as I can. I have a more difficult time attracting uh, congressmen, senators from the left, just because this conversation about family, the Democratic messaging seems to be more as such. Uh, children don't necessarily belong to the parents. They belong to the whole community. Whereas that is unheard of in the conservative movement where it the, the strong family is one of the marquees, family, faith and country, God, family, country uh, is the calling card there. So uh, th there's definitely mixed messaging about this. And when you take that family and you break it down, you give the government or the state, you give them direct access and, and not to mention the influencers. We have got so many influencers that are just crushing the minds of our young kids that got them not seeing straight, uh, not believing in in. in any type of real core values, not believing in America and, and the beauty of what America really is. So we, we've got people that are really spending a lot of money to get to the minds of our kids. And when the parents are not there, uh, they have free reign at what your kids are thinking. And I think uh, I, 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 there is a battle for the mind of the youth in this country and it's playing out in front of us. And, I, and as I said before, uh, I think the fatherless crisis of not having that male, positive male role model is just crippling our country. What's your take on that? I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, if, if I was to give advice to the Democratic Party and not like they're looking for my advice, but if I'm to give my unsolicited advice anyway, it's to embrace the idea of the family, make that an area of common ground. I think that'd be politically good for Democrats, but more importantly, it'd be, it'd be fundamentally good for the country. If, even if we're gonna disagree on corporate tax rates or about COVID policies, at least we're gonna agree about the fundamental governing unit in our society, which is the family itself. And I think that there's in the name of movements like Black Lives Matter, which calls for the death, which called the official website for the longest time called for the decimation of the nuclear family structure. That's backwards. I mean, the, even if you want to talk about and black empowerment in America, that is the best known system of social and economic mobility known to any community, including the black community in America in history is the rise of a stability nuclear family structure. So, so what's going on? What's at the essence of wanting to tear that down. I think it's because we live in a moment of apologism in America, to apologize for everything that got us to our success. I think that goes for apologism in capitalism, it goes for apologism for merit and success. We see the assault on merit in the classroom. But part of the reason we're seeing the assault on the family is it's just part of this broader culture of apologizing for everything that got us to where we are. That's what's, that's what's behind the climate religion too. It's why they're opposed to nuclear energy. They don't want to solve the actual problem. They wanna use this to flog ourselves to be able to hold America back and to apologize for what its alleged sins would be. And it turns out one of the ingredients to our success was itself the strength of a strong family foundation as a fundamental American value. So if that's part of what made us strong and your goal is to undermine that, then attacking the family is, is part of the project itself. But I don't think that's a Democrat and Republican issue, actually. I think it's a 
fringe 20% in this country and everyone else issue. And I think if we can wake up to that reality and stop trying to fit this into a partisan boundary, I think and make this even an issue in the upcoming, let's say, political cycle, I think it could be the ingredient for the beginning of a landslide election where what you discover is most people in this country, even if they disagree about the details of, of some policy, are on board for that basic vision of where we derive our identity. And family is a fundamental part of that. And so I'm actually quite optimistic about how this could go. And then I think I think we have to look at the incentive structures that we've created for the erosion of the family as well. I mean, in the black community, but we could say it more broadly too, when the government actually provides for a way of life for a family, well, you know, even in the single mother's shoes, this is controversial to say, but I think it's just worth acknowledging the psychology of this. Well, he, the government, is doing more for me than you fill in the blank of whoever the father figure is ever have, that then becomes the new marriage. People become married to their government instead of grounded their family. What kids are being taught in schools, this idea, especially in the gender, radical gender ideology movement to say that part of what we need to protect those kids from is their own parents by the state intervening and playing that role to say if kids are confused about their gender, that parents ought to actually be shielded from that so the school can protect those kids. Part of this is a direct assault where the rise and expansion of that gov- of those governmental tentacles, be it in the schools or be it in an overreaching nanny state, create the incentives and the, and the cultural norms for saying that families ought to play less of a role in their kids' lives. And so I think that's part of what, what we need to be able to be protecting against too, and to be able to talk about it openly, because a lot of what I said is controversial. But I think if we care about the revival of our national soul, we're going to have to be able to talk about that openly. And that's something I'm committed to doing. Yeah, but believe me, I know it's controversial. I get crushed on it all the time because I focus on it so much here. But but just to what you said there, this is why I say that the messaging on, on the left side is so much more powerful or better is because when you talk, actually talk to people on the street that even are Democrats, they don't believe in any of this. They don't believe in the fact that the family, uh, your kids belong to the whole state and the whole community. They don't believe in the kids being taught trend, transgenderism in, in, in schools. So they're not on board with that. But the way the messaging is, you would think the whole party is for this. And it's not the case. And so I, I think if they made that switch, it would be big time, a big time help for them in their cause. There's no doubt about that. But you're talking about, you know, obviously the politics. This is a contentious issue. Every single thing is political in our country now. Uh, I, I would imagine that this has got to be a very difficult choice. I know you're, you're, you're looking to throw your hat in the ring. The reports are you're going to make a run for president. What has been the response from your family? Because this is going to take a huge toll, you know, not just on you, but on your on your immediate family and your family life. So what has the discussion been like uh, with your wife, with your family? What's been their response about you making the run for president? So my wife's been very supportive. Uh, My kids, uh, you know, my my three year old. And uh, the only thing he says is uh, I don't want he could call me up. I don't want Appa to be president. I want Mama to be president. So that was that was the response I got from him. <laughs> so he was a little less supportive than my wife. But to be honest with you, you know, it's 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 a little bit daunting, right? I mean, we're, we're we've got young kids. I think we want to look ourselves in the mirror and say to ourselves the truth, which is families are non-negotiable. So so let's say I did cross this bridge and do this. Do we exactly know how it's going to work? I'd be lying if I told you we did. We don't, but all we know is we're rock solid on our footing, that family is foundational, it is non-negotiable, and if we do this, it's not me doing this, it is us doing this together. But even more importantly, that it's not about us. In our faith, we say it's not always done by you, it is done through you. And I think approaching this with humility and to recognize that this isn't about me, this isn't about us, 
It's about a broader cause and a vision that we're just vehicles and a vessels, vessel through which that flows. That's part of what I care about even in this race. I mean, to the extent that I do this, a big part of the reason why is I'm worried it's just going to devolve into a battle of biographies, a battle of boasting, a battle of, of the who, when in fact, I think this should be about the question of the what and the why. And I think that's something we already are starting to teach our kids. We'll continue to teach them. Ask the question of the why. Don't just go through the motions. Understand your purpose as a human being, as an older brother, in the case of my first son, as a citizen, as a citizen of this nation. Understand your sense of purpose. And I think we got to say that even if we're looking for a position of national leadership. Ask yourself about what it is you stand for, why it is you're doing it. And then as a party and as a movement, as a conservative movement, as a country, if we do that, the question of the who will automatically fall out of that. So I'm less quest- I'm less focused if I do, do this on boasting about myself or criticizing the next guy. That's, that's boring. It doesn't track the essence of why we're doing this. I want to define an agenda, why that's the agenda, why those basic rules of the road and principles are what we need to revive in our country. And if I'm the guy to do this, great. That'll be up to the people to decide. And if it's somebody else, the beautiful thing about our country is that's still up to the people to decide. So that's kind of how we've been thinking about it. Yeah, great stuff. Well, listen, you're very well spoken. Uh, you seem like you're, you're, you're primed for this uh, type of spot and run. But so hey, I'll ask you this. If I could make you president for a day, there's a lot of issues that need to be addressed in this country. What's your number one issue? What would you do if I made you president for today? Or what do you attack? Where do you go? So I'd, I'd focus first on dismantling affirmative action in this country. The president can do that. There's an executive order actually signed by President Lyndon Johnson that no Republican president has rescinded that requires affirmative action in the private sector if you're doing business with the government. I'd say get rid of race-based discrimination in every sphere of American life. I would take aim at this climate religion and abandon it. It is shackling the United States at the expense of the rest of the world. But more importantly than just talking about what I would what I would take down, I think from affirmative action to climate religion to the managerial bureaucracy in the federal government, I would also restore the idea that the people who we elect to run the government, such as the president, should be the people who actually run the government rather than this cancerous federal bureaucracy that includes firing and potentially even dismantling many of those agencies. I think an important part of this as we're taking on those challenges would also be to define for this nation and for the generation for our children what it means to be an American. Revive those basic rules of the road from merit to free speech to accountability in government, making sure the elected representatives are actually the ones who run the show rather than the people who do today. If we can revive those things, then we can take on the real external challenges. And at the top of my list, if you've focused on my work on the last year at all, is taking on communist China. It's not going to be easy, but I think we can do it if we rediscover who we really are. So I'm an, I, I'm an unapologetic America first conservative. I am. But one of the things I say is we need to go further to put America first. We need to rediscover what America is. And if I did this, that would be my main mission. Wow. Yeah, great stuff, Vivek. And obviously, Donald Trump is a powerhouse when it comes to the presidential campaigning and the debates. Have you thought about this, debating with Donald Trump? Have you thought about maybe what nickname he might come up with for you? I mean, uh, have, have you thought any about this? That's not something me? that, uh, to be honest, keeps me up at night. He's, he's a friend. I respect him. I wouldn't have thought about doing what I'm doing now were it not for what he did as an outsider in 2015 and 2016. I respect it. But The question for me is where we go from here. And the good news in this country is that that's not my decision. That's not his decision. That's a decision that belongs to the people of this country. So I'm going to articulate a vision. I'm going to stay true to that. I'm going to stay honest about it. It's going to be up to this people to decide who who then becomes the standard bearer to carry this forward.
Yeah, right on with that. Yeah, I've had his son, Eric Trump, on the show here a couple of times. Uh, I, th I think President Trump is a great father himself. we got some great kids, yep. uh, family as well. So if I have time, I want to ask you this, too, because uh, uh, the parents in this country are so concerned about uh, I have my oldest is a junior in high school. Colleges around the corner. Kids are just getting buried in college tuition. This is a major concern for so many. So many parents are still paying their college debt while they're saving for their kids to go to college. Uh, college seems like it's been a scam and a hustle. You talk about the climate hustle all the time. I think college is another one of these things. Real quick, do kids need college today to survive? Do, is college necessary? I think it, we should not live in a society where that's the only path. I think that my path, for example, should not be the only path. There are kids with skills that we can put to work and actually even find a greater sense of purpose and identity and meaning in their work by going through other paths, straight from training even at high school to join the workforce to vocational education. I think big education is a scam. It is one of the defining scams of our time. But I think that once we create those plural paths to success that don't always run through a four-year degree, our country is going to be better off for it. That will be a priority for me. And I think it's an achievable one. And I think that if we do deliver that, I think that's going to unlock a lot of potential in the next generation. So last question, what kind of advice do you have for that new or about to be father out there? Oh, embrace it. Just jump in. Don't worry about it. Uh, I think that sometimes myself included, you can get into the mode of saying that, well, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do the next thing and then I'm going to be ready to be a dad. Doesn't work that way. Just do it <laughs> would be my would be my best advice. Well said. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, you're a first class father all the way. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time here at First Class Fatherhood. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.